before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nickel Anarchy and music by Scott Holmes from Free Music Archive. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Reordian Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp podcast, a Reordianverse read-along podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Reordian in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we begin our timeline journey with a sort of one-off kind of supplementary guidebook in the form of Percy Jackson and the Greek Gods. Strangely enough, I didn't think this would have been the first text in the Timeline series, as it's set after Percy Jackson in the Olympian series, and maybe even Heroes of Olympus. But as I made my way through the book, it kind of actually makes sense why this comes first. Now, as I go through talking about the book and what it was about, etc., I'm going to be aiming and sort of focusing on... uh, a particular some particular things like the mythology elements the storytelling and kind of just generally what i thought of it however before we get down and greeky that was a terrible joke why did i write that down okay let's let's start with a synopsis who could tell the true stories of the gods and goddesses of olympus better than modern day demigod Percy Jackson. Well, you know, probably someone who isn't too biased about the gods, but nobody's perfect, especially not the gods. Except you, Hestia. You're an angel and we're lucky that you're here. Alright, so let's get in and down and dirty with the gods. I did not think that through as I was saying that out loud. Okay, so Percy Jackson and the Greek gods basically isn't at all what I was expecting it to be. So this is the first time I'm actually reading this book. I bought it like four or five years ago and I just kind of forgot that I bought it and just never read it, Um, which I know, shame on me, I'm meant to be a big Percy Jackson fan, but I forgot about (laughs) Percy Jackson's supplementary books. Um, But Percy Jackson and the Greek Gods is basically Percy telling the stories of the Greek gods. Um, he's been invited by a publisher, specifically the publisher who approached him for his modern-day fictional Greek god storytelling journey adventure thing. Um, by the way, I'm loving the connection that Rick is the publisher and writer for <laughs> Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, uh, very similar to his work with the Kane Chronicles, but more on that in future. Now he, and he, I mean Percy, he basically states that these stories are his knowledge of the gods and their histories. But he knows that there are many different interpretations of the myths, so these are just his versions of that. Um, I'm very glad that he pointed that out because, you know, congrats for speaking out on your bias. Because, holy cow, this book is incredibly biased. Like... Each chapter, every time we're learning about one of the new gods, straight away, basically within the first paragraph, and in one case, 
literally the first sentence. We know straight up who Percy likes and who he doesn't. And he only likes two gods. One, his dad, Poseidon, because he's his dad, and that is not a good enough reason considering what what we learn about bloody Poseidon in this book, and also Hestia, which, fair enough, because Hestia is literally the only one that deserves any true love from this fandom and from Hellenistic religious people. Would they be called religious people? Is it technically a religion? I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't have said that if if I'm wrong. I'll look it up at some point. Um, if if I am wrong and I've called it a religion and it's not technically called a religion, my bad. But what's really interesting is basically, well, I say interesting. What's really obvious is just the the differences between Percy Jackson and the Greek gods and any other Percy Jackson book, any other book by Rick Riordan, really. It doesn't feel, firstly, like a Percy Jackson book, but it also doesn't feel like a Rick Riordan book either. Now, kind of when I went into reading this book series, well, this book, because there is another one, the Greek Heroes um, edition, um, I kind of thought it was going to be from the perspective of the Percy Jackson universe, so their interpretations of the myths. But I also thought it was going to be more, not historically accurate, but give a lot more information about the history of the gods and some the stories of the gods. And while we do get certain things like, um, uh, like Prometheus' story, the story of Kronos and all, all that stuff, I don't feel like it's, it's as informed as kind of I was expecting it to be. Now we have... God, how many chapters do we have? Uh, so we have about 20 chapters, technically, on just the mythology element. Um, we have two on the Titans, and then we have all the others are on the Olympian gods, or at least the Olympians plus a few others with, like, Hades, Persephone, and Hestia. And each one has... Uh, I can't. I don't even know how to start talking about this book, because... Just so much seems to happen, but then at the exact same time, nothing seems to happen. So we start off with the beginning of time, with Gaia and, um, I can't say his other name, so I'm just going to call him Uranus. I d- dyslexia, the irony, I clearly am a real-life demigod. Um, so we start off the creation story, uh, we're introduced to the Titans, the Giants, not the Giants, the Cyclopses, and all, all kind of all the original creation stuff. But while the overview of the history and kind of the starting of the world and stuff is good, the one thing, so this was straight away how I knew I wasn't going to be the biggest fan of this book. And I'm saying that straight up, I am not a big fan of this book. Because the story itself is so contrived and the humour just is... Considering the series like as a whole, so Magnus Chase, Trials of Apollo, all that stuff, the humour is so good. Like There are some things that are like dated, like there's a Hilary Duff-related joke in Percy Jackson, which obviously 
Harry Duff isn't well known nowadays, although Disney Plus, Lizzie McGuire come in, who knows, she may come back in into prominence, but that's obviously, it's got the dated aspect, but it's still kind of funny. But here, the jokes are just appalling. There is literally one where Gaia is convincing Kronos and all the other Titan children to kill their father. Um, And she offers them cookies. So she she obviously offers, like, ruling the world and stuff, but she also offers cookies. It's just things... And that just occurs throughout the whole book. There are just some things that, like, we learn so many interesting stuff about, like, the Titans and the gods. Like, we learn about the Titans who were involved with helping to kill Uranus with Kronos and what they got out of it. So we have Ippetus, who became Titan of the West, Hyperion, God of the East, Coeus, Titan of the North, Krios, Titan of the South, and obviously Kronos, Lord of Everything. But other than that, we don't really get much in it. We get a few things here and there, but I don't know, it just, it didn't hit right with me. Then we go on to a bit more about Kronos at the start as well, and we do actually get what I think was a really interesting discussion of the whole DNA thing. So I know this was a big thing with the books that people were like, aren't these kids technically dating relatives, which is kind of weird? And this kind of does actually a good explanation of the DNA aspect with titans and gods and how that also technically passes down to demigods as well and it's basically how kind of they don't have DNA I think it's basically what they were going with or I can't remember exactly now and do you want to know why I don't remember exactly now because the final line after this fantastic two paragraph description of how it was fine for titans to like marry technically their sisters etc was it ends with but that's my theory or maybe the titans were all just freaks seriously it's just that's all i remember from that bit now because all i'm just like is it ended really frustratingly it was there was such a good explanation that i can't remember now because all i remember is that it ends with maybe the titans were just freaks because incest Worst part about all of that, the incest-related joke of being like, ew, gross, happens on four or five different occasions in, like, the first five, six chapters of this book. And it just, after a while, it just gets a bit tedious. And again, with the tediousness is just the comedy just continues to just not hit and it tries really really hard to make the jokes work like so when the gods are coming into being and Cronus vomits them up there's a puke joke like an actual near paragraph long puke joke why that that's all I've got to say to that <laughs> why um I know I'm being really critical of this book but I just feel like it could have been done so much better and I I will get into that. So with the chapter at the Olympians Bash 
some heads. I think what's really interesting, there are some really good parts in this where Percy kind of gives a lot of what I'm thinking as well. So Rick and Percy shading the history of the myths for its sexism, like the goddesses not getting weapons to help fight the titans. They continue to not actually be involved with the, the splitting of the world. So it's just Zeus, Hades and Poseidon. Uh, we then get uh, the fact that Hestia 100% should have been in charge because she has a much brighter head on her shoulders because she didn't want violence. She wanted things to be solved peacefully if they could be. Um, what was interesting about that chapter though was um, the war between the gods and the titans actually took a lot longer than what I thought. I think I've usually gotten like a watered down version of how the gods came into power. It just always sounded like as soon as the gods were freed, they turned on Cronus and then, you know, chopped him up. Um, and then finally, after all that, this is literally just the first three official chapters, and there's a lot to say already. We start with the chapter entitled Zeus, but it's not technically the chapter entitled Zeus because it's crossed out with Percy basically saying, you know, Zeus, I don't care about you. You're useless. Let's get on to the most important and greatest god of them all, Hestia, which is entitled Hestia Chooses Bachelor Number Zero. And I actually really love this information we get on Hestia in that she is literally just the greatest Olympian, even though she's no longer technically Olympian because she stepped down for Dionysus, but that's another story. She is just incredibly kind and genuine and basically, as everyone has headcanoned, and I completely accept this headcanon, um, she is uh, asexual or ace angel who deserves to be protected from everyone and anyone. And considering what we learn in this chapter, protection is clearly necessary because as we learn... This book, while it does try to be faithful to the original myth myths, uh, it's, it's pretty kid-friendly in that, um, and I, I will put a trigger warning here, Hestia is nearly raped by um, someone called Priapus, I'm guessing is his name, um, and do you want to know the term that was used for him? basically about to rape Hestia. It's called cuddling. Cuddling. If you're not going to talk about myths properly and you're going to sanitise things like this, do not bring up that story. And I'm going to have a lot of these cases throughout basically the entire book. Because there are so many things in this book that are watered down so much that it just kind of comes off as really cheap. And it's really horrible for me to say that because I adore Rick's work, but this was just not the way to go. But what I do enjoy is how this chapter ends, which is with this speculation of the story of Prometheus, who stole the fire from Hestia's hearth, or hearth, whatever you call it, to take to the humans. And Percy speculates that she, in fact, helped Prometheus give the fire to the people not only to spread her domain but also because 
she wanted humans to have these same joys as the gods did and it really makes sense because how could he steal it from her like she's all seen she's always at the hearth like so yeah that really makes sense for me then it gets darker with the story of Demeter turns into Grainzilla and well if Hestia had it bad then Demeter had it 100 times worse because this story is super sanitized and seriously if um again if you're gonna sanitize a story don't tell it I know one of them is technically the story about how Persephone was born which is the story of uh, Zeus turning into a snake to follow Demeter who'd also turned into a snake to force her to have sexual relations with him which led to the birth of Persephone they also call it cuddling again they also call it I just I can't stand that at all and they do the same again with Poseidon but at least in the case of Poseidon daddy Aquaman as I'm going to be calling him throughout the entire episode of this now and probably even in future Danny Aquaman is finally shown as a bad guy by Percy saying that what he did to Demeter would 100% have him sent to jail now and yes definitely what he does to Demeter would have him sent to jail the only downside of him of Percy saying that is that he then ties it off with a joke about would he actually go to jail because he was a horse when it happened? Not the time for jokes, my friend. Uh, so that chapter, it was informative about all these things about her. But I roll worthy with the dialogue, like, oh my god. But also, that just those two stories, just again, if, just don't sanitise it. I think that's just a thing that I'm going to bring up here there's just so many things about this that is just unnecessary in terms of the sanitization if you're going to tell stories dark stories particularly about mythology it may this may be for kids but either have it or don't but do it correctly if you are going to have it considering later on they actually even use the term rape they don't use it at any other point and the time that they do use it i'm actually going to go to that i'm going to skip right to that they use that term in what's technically a negative way not in well that sounds really bad <laughs> so basically the term is used when Ares kills a son of poseidon because that son of poseidon was assaulting Ares daughter who was I think a princess I can't remember now um and so he was rescuing his daughter murdered this guy justifiably because he was he was assaulting her um and he's put on trial for this murder and in the commentary from Percy he's defending Poseidon for being angry at Ares for killing his son I don't know if this was intentional or not, but Percy is technically defending someone who sexually assaulted a woman. 
thankfully he does then go on to say not that what he did was right but don't don't defend your dad in the first place mate especially for something like that oh my god it just yeah so there's lots of different moments in here in, in here and it just shows again so there's the, this bias against poseidon throughout this whole book um even the stories that poseidon gets are just re- really frustrating as a whole like his stories are incredibly sanitized like from what i know of mythology poseidon was considered basically worse than zeus now zeus obviously does sleep and do lots of horrific horrific things but poseidon is known to have more children than zeus which means he did a lot worse a lot more often but you wouldn't get that from this chapter on him and i'm going to bring this up as well we get the story of medusa in this chapter and this is something i will bring up when we get to that chapter in the lightning thief i abhor the story of medusa in percy jackson because it it completely and utterly sanitizes the true story of medusa and i think that is i wouldn't say unforgivable but to me it feels that way because medusa's story is horrific but they play it off as her just being poseidon's girlfriend and poseidon just tricking her into sleeping with him just in athena's temple so not a soul but just in athena's temple just to get back at athena and it's just it's really quite un- I don't know. I'm going to move on from it because I'll talk about it in more detail when that chapter comes up. But I now want to get on to the portrayal of Hades. Now, I've never been a fan of how Hades is portrayed in the books, mainly just because he's just shown as like a more grouchy version of Dracula. That's basically why I'm just going to. He's basically portrayed as Dracula, which is ridiculous and frustrating. But in the books, in in the chapter for him, he's written off as really creepy and just generally a stalker in both his chapter for Persephone and for himself. Now, I actually quite like the chapter specific to Hades because we that is probably one of the most well-informed chapters of the whole book. Because not only do we learn about what he did for the underworld, which basically fix everything about the underworld, there was no process, there was no judgmental process. People could end up in the fields of punishment by accident, if even if they were meant for, like, uh, Elysium. And then those who were definitely meant for field of punishment sometimes were ending up in Elysium because they were tricking the system. And he fixes all of this. We then also learn about all the rivers that go into the underworld, like um, the Phlegaton, the River of Fire, or the Leith, which is the River of Forgetfulness, etc. So it's just we just learn so much in this chapter, as well as the fact that he does actually do a lot of kidnapping, which is, uh, you know, not great. Um, <laughs> but he's still, like, Percy still talks about him as, like, a creepy loner loser. And I'm just like... Firstly, at this point, technically, Percy's meant to be 17. You know, 
grow up with your language a little bit. But just, I think it's just a real shame the way in which Hades' character is talked about. And it's even worse in the story of Persephone. Um, and just Persephone as a character in general. So she's portrayed as a dumb idiot. That's basically the same word. Um, she's just portrayed as dumb and privileged. And I think it's, it's probably true in some form to the original story. But it's just... A, just a shame because she uses such things as like when she's trying to get rid of like Hades and stuff when he's like bringing his things in, and like apologising so he's actually being quite nice about it because Zeus was the one who told him to kidnap Persephone um she calls him things like stupid head and I'm like seriously this dialogue what even but I think the thing that really gets me this is just bad female character writing and it happens a lot for the goddesses stories in this book and just in general the story of persephone and hades i think it's a shame that they did do the whole kidnapping creepy sort of stalker weirdo which is actually the name of the chapter persephone marries her stalker <sighs> i just i kind of wish they'd gone with the the sort of the nicer version of the story which is her kind of just stumbling into the underworld and just being like no this is this isn't too bad i think i'll stay and then eating you know the pomegranate seeds sort of by accident not knowing what it would do and then like her and hades falling in love and like that's a much nicer version um and it's the version that i usually go with because i think it's just only a bit more interesting um but just going off of the whole the goddesses being portrayed badly none more actually no all of them are portrayed so badly so we've got this is i think this is probably my most hated chapter title actually hera gets a little cuckoo and i know as a fandom hera is possibly one of the most disliked goddesses or gods as a whole which like i get but at the same time she's not really that bad like she does some really messed up stuff like throwing Hephaestus out of Olympus and all these sort of things but considering how she's portrayed in the Percy Jackson series books in her story she doesn't really come across that bad but the dialogue is still awful and I'm actually going to give an example so this is when Hera is basically trying to trick Zeus into accidentally killing one of his lovers, which I know, not great, but just listen to the dialogue. Well, look at the time. Wonderful catching up, but I should go. I have old lady things to do. Hera left. An hour later, Zeus returned to Samil's house. Hey, babe, he said as he walked in. And it just, it just gets weird, worse. He just goes, uh, what's up? Uh, or a pair of those new things that humans have just invented. What were they called? Shoes? Female stereotyping. Uh, oh, bad idea, babe. Ask me something else. It just... I know this is meant to be written by a teenager. It's just, I don't know what it is. It just 
gets on my nerves a little bit. And just as a whole, again, it's just bad female writing. She is shown to be petty, jealous, and in the chapter, considering Zeus is cheating on her regularly, and later actually tortures her, he's not shown particularly as a bad guy in this chapter. Here it is. I know she does some really dodgy things, but like, her husband is cheating on her, and she can't do anything to him because he could literally vaporise her and send her to Tartarus. So, you know. Oh, and she's also called a psycho and crazy in the title, which, you know, females <laughs> stereotyping, which is always great. And uh, this is another one as well. I'm just going to do some more female gods. Aphrodite. Now, I've actually done a video to do with Aphrodite on my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, kind of going into a bit more detail about this. But uh, the chapter's called You Gotta Love Aphrodite. And all I can think is, why does Percy hate Aphrodite? Like, she's shown as vain and dumb. There's even like a uh, a sentence that he says, all this fuss for little old me. But she was loving it. I mean, oh, I don't know what it is. It's just, it gets this sort of boys versus girls, girls versus girls, female pettiness. Um, we get some Hephaestus bashing um, about how ugly he is. And even most of her stories that are in, you know, her story aren't hers we get like pandora's box which is more zeus's story she just happened to have an idea but she's not really involved in it whatsoever um but you know what <laughs> do you want to know how it ends um percy blames aphrodite for the box um after literally saying the sentence before that all women get blamed for the problems of the world like Pandora's box, um, Eve's fall from Grace and Adam and Eve and then literally right after he goes on to blame Aphrodite even though it was Zeus's idea, it was Zeus's plan, he wanted to do this. You are perpetrating the idea of women being at fault you div. End of rant on that case. Now just the bias just continues throughout this whole book we get the story of Ares the manly man's manly man and it's just an overdramatic growing up story strangely enough the stories for Ares go by really quickly we got cowardly Ares where he lived who his children were who worshipped him um turning Cadmus and Harmonia into snakes um 80s or IT's I don't know how to pronounce it obsessive worshipping and then obviously we've got the, the whole rape case relating aspect and then Percy specifically and purposefully ends on a story of Ares being cowardly and pathetic just because he wants to show him being cowardly and pathetic I just ugh, yeah and then we've got the story of Hephaestus, which is the only other, other than possibly Artemis's story, that is actually, oh, actually, and probably Dionysus as well. So, Hades, Hephaestus, 
Artemis and Dionysus, and probably Hestia as well, are the only stories of the gods where we actually get important informative information about those gods. So for Hephaestus, we learn about him tying up Hera, his friendship with Dionysus, which I had no idea about, and even later him being on his mother's side and untying her from being held above Tartarus after Zeus tied her up for turning against him. Um, We also find out about how he was also the patron of Lemnos as well, due to him predominantly being there after being, you know, beaten by Zeus really and he stays there and he has his workshop there and stuff like that um and even we get technically <laughs> a sort of divorce with him and Aphrodite so it's or like it's a mutual decision for them to have extramarital relationships after he catches her and Ares um and yeah so it's it's quite informative and same with Artemis as well although again We've got some bias about Artemis and just the female character as a whole because this is something, again, I would talk about more as I do chapter by chapter, specifically when we get to the Titan's Curse. The Hunters of Artemis, and Artemis in particular, are for some unknown reason portrayed as man-haters, like sort of the, the, the feminazi stereotype, which makes no sense especially with the stories that they use in this chapter so the chapter even starts off with it's not that artemis hated all men just most of them from the moment she was born she knew one critical fact guys are kind of gross and i just that's not necessary and definitely not true yes she wanted to become a maiden goddess she went in Zeus like a day after she was born, or maybe a week, I can't remember now, to become a maiden goddess and to set up the Hunters of Artemis. But even the stories that she tells, that she tells, that Percy tells to do with Artemis, other than killing, I think it's like two men, who stumble across her and her maidens naked, they're the only two that she kills. One of them is because she's like, I kind of, you know, have to, but she turns him into a stag. I think. She turns him into an animal of some kind. Wait, no, that's the other guy. She turns one of them into the stag, so it's dogs will eat him because he demanded that Artemis marry him because he's an idiot. Um, And then another one was just like, it was accidental, but she kind of had to kind of give him the sort of, tell people, you know, if you do this and you don't leave straight away, this is what's going to happen. But I half get the possibility of her maybe hating men considering those who do stumble across her and also her father assaulting her best friend Callisto um but we then have two stories of her two male best friends who were also male hunters of Artemis so there's Orion um actually just to note as you know I'll note this at the point you know what i'll say it It contradicts what happens in heroes of olympus because neither of them were in love with each other it just happened to be that um orion was killed by gaia for reasons that i currently can't remember but there was also the story of hippolytos 
I think that's how it's pronounced, who was basically her best friend, and he was the second man to be brought into the Hunters for Artemis, who he basically never wanted to get married. He was, he's kind of ace, really. Like most of the hunters, I would say, are probably ace as well, especially Artemis and Hestia. But he was killed by Aphrodite's frustration and anger at the fact that he was happy to not fall in love with any of the hunters of Artemis just because he was happy following Artemis, not falling in love with Artemis and just hunting because that's what made him happy. And yeah, it was just, it's, you've got two stories of her being best friends with men and yet you're writing her as a man-hater. What? Oh, and even better, he ends the chapter with calling Annabeth possessive. Lovely. It is just it just doesn't sound like Percy at all. I don't know what's happening. And then for the final, thankfully informative chapter is the story of Dionysus, who was, as I learned whilst reading this book, which was really interesting for me to learn, was that he was raised with male and female pronouns. So, mainly so Hera wouldn't find him, you know, kill him. So he's a transgender and non-binary inclusive god. And anyone who didn't conform or have had sort of like gender questions were sort of protected by him. And he kind of was the patron of them in a form, which is, you know, really cool. Um, but damn, this dude seriously <laughs> experienced a lot of tragedy in his life. His mother is murdered. His father is technically responsible. Not technically, he is responsible. His foster parents were driven mad and murdered their children and then committed suicide because of Hera. And then his best satyr friend dies, which did lead to him creating wine in his honour and memory. Um, so it's kind of no wonder he was pretty miserable when we do meet him in the Percy Jackson series. Uh, he also started a wine cult um, um, as a demigod, which, you know, is pretty impressive uh, considering he's a demigod and started a cult for him to become the god of wine. Um, although it is kind of mildly terrifying. Imagine Percy setting up a cult for blue food. <laughs> Admittedly, I 100% would join a cult for blue food. I don't know many... We've got, like, blue sugary sort of laces sort of things. I don't remember what they're called. But that's not... That's technically blue food. What else is blue? I don't think there's much else. I'm getting way off topic. Right, let me get back to this. Um, Generally, we get a bit more exploration as to why he hates heroes after he... And, and mortals as a whole, considering what they've done. Like, he, a lot of his theta friends were murdered by a king because the king wanted to and he could murder them. His wife, Ariadne, he meets not long after she was abandoned by Theseus. Is it Theseus? Yeah, it is. Is it Theseus? Yeah, I think it's Theseus. I'm questioning myself now. And if I'm wrong, whoops. But it's just, it's really interesting that we get this sort of insight to Dionysus as a character, especially considering he is actually quite a main character 
in the main Percy Jackson series. And now I know I haven't covered every single one of the God stories in here, but there's a lot to cover in this book series as a whole. Um, I'm just going to summarise the whole thing because this has probably gone on a lot longer than I intended. But I'm not the most favourable of this book. And I know I said that near near the start. But as a whole, the dialogue is incredibly clunky. The modern the modern jokes and references, whilst usually work in like post just like the Hillary Duff joke that I made, and even the Jonas Brothers related ones too. Um, we've even had a Wakanda reference recently in Trials of Apollo, which like I love. Like, is it going to date them? Of course, but it still works in terms of the comedy aspect. Here, it really, really doesn't. We've got like Limerick is a naughty poem. Uh, it, things last longer than an average Hollywood marriage. Cookies and punch for everyone, and you're a stupid head. I just don't see how those were meant to be considered funny. The bias, as I've mentioned, is so it stands out so much. Like you can tell straight away which god Percy Jackson doesn't like, and that includes Aphrodite, Ares, Athena, Hera, Zeus, Hades a little bit. That's kind of it, but he's not particularly favourable to anyone other than Hestia and his dad. And considering one of the stories that he tells to do with his dad, which isn't in his dad's collection of stories, is his dad assaulting Demeter and his dad protecting another person who assaulted who was one of his children. Like, not particularly great. Like, I know it's from Percy's perspectives, but the stories should have been way more balanced for the sake of uh, as the the reader's knowledge and learning, especially considering these are meant to kind of help young kids understand the Greek gods a little bit more. These stories, I just do not think will do that because of how it's written and how biased they are as a whole. And even the stories that they chose were just so random and kind of out there that it does you just kind of don't get an understanding or feeling for what the gods were like like i mentioned the story was so sanitized in everything using the term cuddling for sexual relations and non-consensual sexual relations relations is appalling i'm just going to end it there because i could go on another rant about that (laughs) which i really shouldn't be ranting in this podcast because this is the first episode and this is what you guys are probably getting an impression of for me but yeah like i said if you're going to clean up the stories just just don't have them find another one the language is really childlike and it just doesn't feel like a percy jackson book Considering Trials of Apollo, you get a sense that is definitely kind of directed at a sort of younger-ish audience. This one doesn't feel like it's targeted at the same age range. It feels like it's targeted a bit younger. Well, actually, admittedly, I can't even tell who's meant to be targeted at. I think that's the problem. 
Um, an interesting bit that we do have is that there are some connections in this book to what we know from the series, like um, Hephaestus creating um, Aurum and Argententum's the the metal dogs, the gold and silver metal dogs, which end up becoming Rainer's dogs in the Heroes of Olympus series. Um, there's also the story of Hermes creating the the lyre, um, which and kind of tricking Apollo into giving him what he wants in return for the lyre. Same with the Phantasinator that comes in the Heroes of Olympus later as well. So those are just kind of my overall thoughts, but. As a whole, the mythology, stories, and information, while good for some of the gods, like I mentioned, it's lost in the poor dialogue, the poor narrative, and lack of narrative, really. I'd kind of would almost be more interested in not like a complete straight up history text. Or maybe even something from Annabeth's perspective, from someone who knows more about the gods than Percy. And she also has a bit less of a bias than him. But there's just something about this book that just didn't work for me. And unfortunately that's coloured my perspective of this book. Now, of course you guys can have completely your own opinion and I don't mean to say all these negative things about this book to kind of put you guys off from reading it completely the opposite i want to know what you guys think of this book in particular if you have a similar experience or if you think there was just something you'd like different about it or something you even really liked about it let me know because i'd be really interested to learn and see things from you guys's perspective in general thank you guys for joining me for the start of our timeline journey with percy jackson and the greek gods join me next wednesday as i tackle the next book in our timeline percy jackson and the greek heroes in the meantime you can find the best damn camp on various social medias at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter and on tumblr at the best if you want to email me with your own thoughts as to this book or anything in future, you can email thebestdampcamp at hotmail.com and I will read out anything that you guys have to say at the end of the show. Um, all these things will be in the description for this episode, so if you can't remember what I said, they should all be there. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. And I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. Bye.